have your Bibles with you this morning, take them and turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 is where we'll be. We're getting close. I think we're going to get done before we start Advent. So I think we've got today and two more weeks and we will round out our study of the book of Romans. And so what a time it's been. You know, there are parts of the Bible that we often handle like we handle junk mail when, it, when we open the mailbox or spam when we open our inbox. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those advertisement postcards that come in your mailbox, they don't get any more than a passing glance and then they're in the trash can, right? And, and, and when you see that yet another subject line pop up that is clearly spam. It's an advertisement in your email. You don't even open it. You, you hit the delete thing and, 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 and you send it off into wherever deleted spam goes. It's the delete forever button on, in your inbox, right? And you know, for junk mail and, and spam emails, that's a good practice. That's a good way to manage your time. You don't have time for all that. You don't need to look at that postcard that comes in the mail. You don't need to study that thing. You don't care who it's from. You're not buying, right? If, you, if you're not expecting it, you're, you don't need to waste your time with that. Same thing with spam emails. You don't have time to go through the, if you're like me, I don't know how many I get all the time. It's a good way to manage your time, just to trash that stuff immediately. But when you go back to what I said a minute ago, there are parts of the Bible that we often handle like junk mail or spam mail? That's a problem. Because you see, for any jot or tittle of Scripture, any little stroke of God's own breathed-out Word that He breathed out through human authors into, into this book that we can hold, and I hope that you're holding this morning, given so that we can know Him, To treat any part of it like junk mail or spam mail, that's just not a good approach, is it? Well, we come to a passage that you might be tempted to handle that way. But I hope you leave here convinced that such passages as Romans 16, 1 through 16, and verses 21 to 23 hold treasures for you that you've just not seen yet. We continue this morning in our study of Paul's letter to the Romans, the, the greatest letter ever written, Paul's magnum opus. It, it, it's, his, it's the pinnacle of his written work as an apostle. And we've been looking at this letter under the heading of the righteousness the gospel of the righteousness of God. Some of this you heard when we read Romans 1 earlier. Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'm a preacher of the gospel of God. Paul talked about in that passage how we're saved by the righteousness that comes through faith. What's all that about? Well, we've been talking, and if you've been with us, you can, you can start, you can almost repeat with me at this point because I've said it now for the 43rd time. The good news is what this letter is about. That is the gospel. That word means good news. It's about the good news that holy God, 
who requires 100% righteousness from you if you would have a relationship with him, that same God that looks at us and knows that we are 100% unrighteous, amen? There's no good in us whatsoever. The God that requires righteousness through the life, death, and resurrection of his son gives us righteousness as a gift. The very righteousness he requires, he gives as a gift, and all we have to do is take it as a gift by faith. Believe that he wants us to have it and say, God, I need Jesus. Let me have the righteousness that he has earned for me through his life, death, and resurrection. I need your solution to my sin problem. The only hope for the world. And so we've been unfolding that. We we have noted that the first 11 chapters of this book are about that good news. Paul unfolds or explains that good news. What is the gospel? What what is all that? How does that work? Where did it come from? Why do we need it? Everything from the sinfulness of man to the sovereignty of God in, in bringing the gospel to us and opening our eyes to see. Everything from justification by faith, being declared righteous before holy God in Jesus, by simply trusting him to Romans chapter 8, where we learn about being made righteous, not just justification by faith, but sanctification by faith and by the grace of God, where we are actually in our daily lives made a little bit more and a little bit more and progressively more like him. We came to that turning point of the book in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 where Paul shifts from explanation to application. This is what the gospel was, Romans 1 through 11. This is what it means in your life, Romans 12 through 16. And the pivot point is Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of the 11 chapters worth of gospel I've just explained to you, because of the truth of the good news, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we said, we just summarized those two verses this way, to daily live out the will of God according to the word of God for the glory of God is the only logical response to the gospel of God. That's what Paul's saying in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so Romans 12 through 16 is the unfolding of what the will of God looks like practically in our lives. What should change in our lives that will show the world the will of God and that will point them to the gospel of God? How is it that How do living sacrifices look when they truly see the gospel and they really do climb up and get on the altar of sacrifice and give themselves to God? What do they look like practically? And so today we continue with that thought in Romans 16. And in Romans 16, in an unlikely passage, we learn a very important and beautiful truth. I want to talk to you this morning about the priority of gospel relationships, the priority of gospel relationships. The truth I want you to take home with you is this, prioritizing relationships within the body of Christ is the only logical response to the gospel of God that eternally joins us all together 
in Christ. What am I saying? I'm saying that by making number one in your lives relationships in the body of Christ, it's the only thing that makes sense when you've seen and heard the gospel. When you've seen the glory of God in Jesus Christ and you realize that you have been, listen to me, not just by blood for this life joined to, 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 to other members of the body of Christ, but by the blood forever joined to the members of the body of the, of, of the local church as well as the church worldwide, it only makes sense that you prioritize that which lasts forever. Amen? Hello? Are y'all all right? Are y'all tracking where we're going with this? This is forever family. Forever family. We live like our families are forever family. You understand they're for a limited time only, as precious as they are, as God-given as they are, as God-ordained as they are. They are a shadow of our forever And so we are to prioritize these relationships. One way we live as living sacrifices is by living in light of the gospel and eternity and prioritizing relationships within the body of Christ because it's the only logical response to the gospel of God, the gospel that eternally joins us all together in Christ. Though Paul had not personally been to Rome or met many of its members, he loved these people. He'd come to know a lot about him. Uh, you say, how did he know him if he'd never been there? He was still, when he wrote this letter in Corinth or, or modern-day Greece, he was still a long way from Rome. And, and, and so how, how did he know them so well? Well, first of all, you've heard of the Roman roads. Travel was more common than we think it was back in those days. People moved around a lot. So word spread, news spread. No, they didn't have cell phones and Internet. They didn't need them because they could think and remember and they would tell stories and they would report and, and relate one to another. And this is what happened. So here's how, Rome, here's how Paul felt about the Romans as we saw uh, Mr. Bobby. We, we, we just touched on it. Mr. Bobby expounded on this wonderfully on a Saturday morning two weeks ago at, at the men's breakfast. But Romans 15 verse 14 Here's the way Paul felt about the church. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I've just written the longest letter that, I, that, that, I, that I'll ever write. I've just done my magnum opus and sent it to you, church at Rome. But here's what I think. I think that y'all are rock solid in the gospel and that y'all know that everything, you already know everything I've written and you know how to interact with one another. You know, Mr. Bobby, how to instruct one another. In other words, you realize that you don't need me to be there to help you grow in the gospel and understand the gospel. You as a local church have the capacity in your giftedness and in, and in your knowledge of the gospel to teach each other and instruct one another and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. He was confident in this church. But in Romans 16, verses 1 through 16, he begins to talk very personally to specific people. Listen to what it says. Why don't you stand for this? Because remember I told you that this is sometimes what we treat like spam or email, so I don't want you, I don't want you uh, getting distracted. So let's stand together as we read. Here's what Paul says. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she, whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. 
Greek Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with him. Greet Philogagus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And then you skip down to verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, so Paul had a scribe who's doing all this writing, and he, he, he gets to, to be personal here. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. You may be seated, and may God add his blessing to this beautiful portion of his word. Prioritizing relationships within the body of Christ according to Paul and his example, is the only logical response to the gospel of God that eternally joins us all together in Christ. There's several things I want you to see about this series of greetings before us this morning. The first one is this. Individuals matter in the church. Individuals matter in the church. There are 27 folks greeted by name in this chapter. Phoebe from Centria and 26 others who were already living in Rome. Names matter to Jesus. For he said in John 10 verse 3, the sheep, speaking of himself as the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Just enjoy those words of your Savior for a minute. Think think with me about the beauty of your salvation and the relationship you have individually with the shepherd. Jesus knew your name when he lived a perfectly righteous life for you. Jesus knew your name when he hung on the cross for you, to pay for you in his own body God's curse on your sins. He knew your name. Jesus knew your name that morning when he rose from the grave for you to prove that his payment was sufficient and to give you power not only over sin's penalty but over its daily power in your life. He knew your name. 
And if you call him Savior today, if you trust him, if you've taken the righteousness of God in Christ as, as a gift by faith, then it's only because you, Jesus called your name one day through the preaching of the gospel and with the sweet and powerfully effectual voice of his own spirit in your heart. And every day as a follower of Jesus, your shepherd calls your name, amen? He leads you out into the pastures of life. He leads you out on mission with and for him. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. And hear me, you have a part to play in the gospel, in gospel partnership with all your brothers and sisters here in this local church. So let me take it a step further. Jesus knows your name. He called you. He saved you. He indwelt you by his spirit. And if he lives in you, he's equipped you for the ministry that he's, uh, he's called you to. He's got a specific job for you in this local church, which means this. If you're not serving in the body, you're short-circuiting what your shepherd wants to do as he knows and calls you by name. As he said, he calls them out. He, he calls them to salvation, yes, but he calls them every day to follow him and be on mission with him. So you're out of step with the shepherd if you're not serving in the local body. If you're not serving one another in the local body. Because you see, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7, Paul tells us all about this. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. He doesn't gift... Sunday school teachers, you to, you to teach for your good. He, he gifts you to teach for the good of the Sunday school class that he's entrusted you with. And, and just go on down the line. But notice, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. And what Paul's saying is in this verse is he wants to show his presence through in you and through you in a particular way that is for the good of everyone else. You have an, a gift. The Spirit will show himself in and through you in a way that he cannot do through, in and through anyone else. Individuals matter in the church. Jesus knows your name, and he's called you out. He saved you, and he wants to use you. 27 people listed by name that he was using in Centuria in the church at Rome. But secondly, I want you to notice from these verses, thinking big picture here, human diversity should be characteristic of every local church. We know this is the heart of God. We know what heaven is going to be like. How do we know? Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10 tells us there. We're told that the elders in heaven sing a new song saying, Worthy are you, singing to Jesus, the Lamb, who was worthy to take the scroll. You remember, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood. What did he do by his blood? 
What did the cross and the resurrection accomplish in the big picture of this world and this universe? You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see, human diversity when it comes to race should be a characteristic of every local church. It's going to be a characteristic of heaven. But not only race, scriptures make it clear that social strata, social status. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31, Paul, Paul emphasizes uh, one side of this, but certainly it includes both. For, your con- for consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many. What that means is there were some wise according to worldly standards that God called. By the way, Paul would have been one of those. Well-educated, smart, wise in the ways of the world guy. God called him. But Paul says to the Corinthians, not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What's the point of all that? P- Paul said, look, God turns er- everything upside down from the way the world has it. The weak, the wise, and noble, all that doesn't mean anything when it comes to relating to God. The flip side of this statement in this passage is this, nor does its opposite. Like, uh, the bottom line is the ground's level at the foot of the cross, Amen. Not many were wise, but some wise God saved by his grace. God did overcome the heart and arrogance of Paul and saved him. But he saved a lot of everyday people, didn't he? He he saves all kinds. Why? To show that the only thing we've got to boast in is Jesus. It's him. And so on on a social strata level, So just kind of some commentary stuff here about this group of people in Romans 16. The Roman Christians were diverse in race, rank, and sex. That is gender, male, female. As for race, we know already that the church in Rome had both Jewish and Gentile members, and this is confirmed by the list. Certainly Aquila and Priscilla were Jewish Christians, and so was Paul's, um, and, and, and so they were Paul's uh, kinsmen, which is less likely to mean his relatives here uh, than those of his own race. In other words, his Jewish kinsmen, I think is what we think what he means here, even as he referred to him back in chapter 9, verse 3. But it's equally clear that, that others on this list were Gentiles. And, and, and here's what we see from, from the very earliest days of the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm reading from a commentary here. Heterogeneity, in other words, differences in the body, right, is of the essence of the church since it is the one and only community in the world in which Christ has broken down all dividing walls. Ephesians 2. 
A homogenous church is a defective church, which must work penitently and perseveringly towards heterogeneity. What 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 does that mean? If we all look the same, something's wrong. Heaven's not going to be a bunch of white people in the same room. And we live in a community that's not just a bunch of white people. Hello, y'all all right? The community ought to be reflected in the church. And, and the bottom line is the church ought to reflect and, and start to look like heaven. Now, we may not have red, yellow, black, and white. We may not have all of the different races in Gilmer County, but we've got some different races. And we ought to be reaching them with the gospel of Christ. Amen? Y'all all right? You amen that really loud. You know what that means? That means we expect you to volunteer at the International Learning Center in this coming year. Amen? Yeah, all right. ILC staff, thank you very much. There we go. So, so the Roman Christians were diverse in race. The social status of these 27 friends of Paul, uh, just unbelievably different. On the one hand, we, we, we can't be sure about any of this. Some of this is, is taken from history and, and comparative uh, studies of, of, of writings in, in, in the Roman Empire at the same time that this letter was written. It doesn't say it in the text, but other, in, other uh, um, inscriptions in, in, in ruins around Rome and, and, and other areas indicate that, that names like Ampliatus and Urbanus and Hermes and Philagagus and Julia, these were common names for slaves in the area of Rome. On the other hand, some at least were freed people, and others had links with persons of distinction. For example, commentators consider it quite likely that the Aristobulus mentioned here in verse 10 was the grandson of Herod the Great and the friend of the emperor Claudius, and that Narcissus there in verse 11 was none other than the well-known rich and powerful freedman who exercised great influence on Claudius. He was, a, he was a, a mentor for Emperor Claudius. But also, as we think about different, different uh, social statuses and so forth, more distinguished, though in a different and nobler way, you've got a guy like Rufus, verse 13. By the way, parents, is there, is there any expecting parents in the room? Anybody want to do a, a gender reveal or anything this morning? Okay. Um, no expecting parents. We've got a lot of babies Parents, if, if, if you're going to have any more babies, you ought to consider naming your boy Rufus. You say, Chatter, what's wrong with you? Well, we think Rufus may well have been the son of Simon of Cyrene. Anybody know who Simon of Cyrene was? What did he do? He was the guy conscripted by the Roman soldiers to carry Jesus' cross. Mark wrote his gospel after the book of Romans was written, and he wrote it from Rome. So stay with me. Paul's in Corinth writing to the church at Rome. He sends this letter, we'll talk about this in a minute, by Phoebe, who lived just six miles from Corinth to Rome. Then later on, several years later, Mark writes his gospel, and he's the only, only gospel that refers not to Simon of Cyrene, but mentions by name his two sons, Alexander and Rufus. There would have been no reason to do that if they didn't already know who Rufus was. 
interesting. Imagine being the son of the guy that carried Jesus' cross. Here's what I, here's what I can just almost guarantee you about that family. I, I just believe Simon, based on texts like this and other places, I believe Simon came to know Jesus as Savior after he carried his cross. Can I prove that? No, can't prove that. This is some, some hopefully sanctified conjecture at this point, right? But just imagine, you carry his cross. You, 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 you're there when the, when the centurion says, Behold, this man is the Son of God. But imagine you're carrying his cross and, you're, and you've, you've looked into his eyes as he, as he fell under the weight of that cross. And then imagine if you're Rufus and you grew up here in this story. I mean, how close could you be to Jesus? There were other people that got physically that close to Jesus, I understand. That, I can't guarantee Simon's salvation, but I, I think. But the most interesting, and, 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 so, and so, so, so what's the point? Just, just, just all kind of social strategy. You got slaves in this list. You got, you got people that were in, in the imperial household of Caesar, serving his attendants, his, those nearest to him. You got a guy whose daddy carried Jesus' cross at this church. So this church was diverse in race, in social stratus. But notice, the most interesting and instructive aspect of church diversity in Rome is that of gender. Nine out of the 26 persons greeted are women. Make it 10 because Phoebe was from Centria, not Rome. There's nine from Rome plus Phoebe. Priscilla, verse 3, Mary, verse 6, probably Junia, we think, verse 7, Tryphena and Tryphosa, who may have been twin sisters, and Persis, all mentioned in verse 12. One an interesting, Rufus's mother, Paul said, who has been a mother to me. Paul personally knew that family. And he said, Rufus's mother has been like a mother to me. Julian Nereus' sister, verse 15. Paul evidently thinks highly of them all. He singles out four, Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis, as having, if you look in the text, worked hard. Remember hearing that as we read through? They worked hard for Christ. They worked hard for you. And so what we see is the prominent place occupied by women in Paul's entourage. And it shows that he was not at all the male chauvinist of popular fantasy and commentary by liberal scholars and unbelievers. In fact, the church of Jesus Christ in that day gave women a dignity and equality within Christ that was unknown and countercultural in the Roman Empire. And a great example of this is Phoebe, which is how he starts the chapter. In verses 1 and 2, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of of the church at Sinshria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. It seems certain that Phoebe was the courier who personally delivered this letter from Paul to the church at Rome. Think about that. Such was Paul's trust and confidence in this lady, his sister in Christ, he says, that he would give her this magnum opus of his, this long... By the way, this is a long letter. And here's how that would have worked. Writing utensils and paper were expensive in that day. 
Like he didn't Xerox a copy of this thing to keep for himself. Are you tracking with me? He bound up the only copy of this letter that we've spent 43 weeks now in. The richest theology of the gospel in all of Scripture. He bound it up and he said, Phoebe, my sister, will you take this to Rome? It says she was a patron. He calls her a sister. He says she was a patron to many, and even myself, he says. Apparently, she was a woman of some financial means, perhaps a businesswoman that used her wealth regularly to advance the spread of the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus. She's been a patron to me and, of, and to many. She's helped, financially helped many. Perhaps the reason she was the choice is because she had a business trip to make from Centuria to Rome. Would not have been unusual or unlikely. She had business to do there, but none greater than carrying the book of Romans to the Roman church. And Paul includes these two verses. He gives two verses of of a book of the Bible to this lady because he wants her to have this commendation when she gets there. Back in that day, as you travel from place to place, you know, there there were, it was was a wicked place. There wasn't a lot of law enforcement. You you know, somebody might show up at your door uh, and, and claim to be somebody they're not just so they can get in your house and rob you, this kind of thing. She would have showed up with a letter saying, this is from the Apostle Paul. He, he vouches for me. He knows who I am. He calls me a sister. I'm a patron. But also he says, she's a servant of the church in Sinshria. Now, without getting a hope into anything too controversial here, the word servant, it's the same word that we, that, that we translate deacon in other places. It's, it's, it's a Greek word that is in the neuter form, it, it, and, and it's, it's used to talk about men and women, by the way. There's not a, there's not a masculine form and a feminine form as there are in, in some other words. And, and so what is Paul saying? Well, at the very least, he's saying she is a noteworthy servant in the church. Everybody knows how she serves the church at Centuria. There's no reason why, as I read the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, that women cannot be deacons. Now, that is to make a clear distinction between deacons and elders. Just to clarify, here at this church, we have deacons only that serve as deacons and elders. So here, this would not work. You with me? Though we're in the process of separating those two offices in the next couple of years to align more biblically with the plurality of elders that we see all through the book of Acts and so forth. The elders clearly in Scripture are men and are charged with the governance and teaching ministry of the church. But the diaconate does not bear that same uh, authority and responsibility of governing and teaching. Deacons are charged in Scripture with the kind of ministries of, with ministries of mercy. Things like Jesus talked about in Matthew 25, 44, feeding the hungry, taking in the refugee, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, visiting the imprisoned. And we know that through, through, through Scripture, the Testament of Scripture, women did all of these things in that day. And so whether or not Phoebe occupied the office of deacon in the church at Centuria or she was a model servant in that church, either way, she's who your deacon, you want your deacons to be. How about that? Amen? And to Paul himself, it's amazing, she's inscripturated by Holy, the Holy Spirit in Paul's letter here as a servant at the church in Centuria. She stood out at the church 
in Centuria. So human diversity, whether it be on the basis of race, social strata, or gender, human diversity should be characteristic of every local church and the ministry thereof. Thirdly and finally this morning, not only do individuals matter, not only does human diversity, should it characterize every local church, gospel unity should cause every local church to stand out in its community. Gospel unity should cause every local church to stand out. Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 26 to 28, these words, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. No difference on the race level. There is neither slave nor free. No difference on the social level. There is no male and female. That doesn't mean that, that our, our biological sexes cease to exist. It means that they don't matter in the body of Christ except in certain roles. But overall, the ground is level. We are equal in Christ for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Clearly, the Roman church understood that and was living that out simply based on a list of names in Romans 16. Listen to how Christ saturated these greetings are, how focused on their gospel unity that should cause every local church to stand out. Notice in, in, in this section in, in Romans 16 how, they're, how focused on their gospel unity Paul is. Verse 2, welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, the first convert to Christ. Isn't that kind of neat, by the way? Here's what I understand that, that little line about Epinetus to mean. That when Paul took his first missionary journey, the first one to come to know Jesus was Epinetus in the region of modern-day Turkey. We know his name. Paul will never forget his name. Because seeing people come to Christ is why he went there in the first place. Verse 7, they were in Christ before me. Paul, Paul remembered those that he had learned the faith from. And he understood that he didn't start the faith. He wasn't even, he, 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 he came early, but, but there were people who, walk, who walked with Jesus, who trusted him as Savior, who preached the resurrection before he did. Verse 8, my beloved, again, in the Lord. Verse 9, my fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Verse 11, greet those in the Lord. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord. Verse 13, Persis, who has, who has worked hard in the Lord. Verse 14, Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Hear what I'm saying to you. Those words are not superfluous. That's just, that's, that's just not in there because Paul was super spiritual. It's because he's talking about his brothers and sisters in the Lord, in Christ. He's talking about their service, not in general. He's not describing their work ethic on the job. He's talking about what they did in service of Jesus. Now, that may have included their work ethic on the job. This is how a church unified in Christ, bound together in the gospel of Jesus, talks about each other. Is it how you talk about your brothers and sisters here? You're saying, Chad, are you, are you, you don't get weird maybe. This may be weird. But, you know, there is nothing wrong. It's, it's, it's a good practice when we see each other. There's nothing wrong with, with, with me saying, brother, how are you? I'm not doing it because I'm supposed to do it. 
Because I just grew up hearing people say brother at church and sister at church. Our brethren and sistren. <laughs> I'm doing it because we're brothers and sisters in a forever family that is deeper and, and stronger and, 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 and longer lasting than blood relatives. I mean, we need to get to know each other at that level. We're going to spend eternity together. Is there a difference in how you refer to other Christians? I, I think these verses teach us there ought to be. I'll really blow your mind in a minute, by the way. But wait. Then there's Prisca and Aquila, verses 3 through 5 here. Greek Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, listen, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well, greet also the church in their house. Brief note on the first part of verse 5, did you see, as we read through earlier, the church that meets in their house, verse 5, those that are with them in other places, uh, those of the household of. What's the picture? All, over, all across the city of Rome, there were house churches that met in various homes. That's what the church looked like back then. It didn't look like this gathering. But there were small home churches that were spread all, all over that imperial city, and, and, and Paul says, greet them all. We're all one. doesn't matter if, if, they, if they live in this neighborhood or that or if they meet in this home or that. We're all one in Christ, and same is true across our county today. Amen. We're all one in Christ, whether we're in one local church or the other. But notice Paul says, they, they risk their necks for me. They put their life on the line to save mine, and I give thanks to them, but, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to them. What are they saying? Hey, what's he saying? He's saying, look, they risked their life to save mine, and the Gentile churches that followed my that threat on my life at that point, the, the people I was able to preach the gospel to that heard and believed, and, and those towns where churches were established, those churches thanked them for saving my life that day. I don't know exactly, we don't know exactly what they're referring to there, what he's referring to here. A quick side note about this couple, Prisca and Aquila, they were movers. New Testament references to Pris, Priscilla and Aquila tell us that Aquila came from Pontus on the southern shore of the Black Sea, that he and Priscilla lived in Italy probably in Rome, and Pontus, Italy, or up in Rome, until the emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome in AD 49. That they then moved to Corinth, and that's where Paul would have met them and stayed with them. And that then they travel with him to Ephesus, which is perhaps where they risked their lives for him. It's not in the least unlikely that after Claudius' death in AD 54, he banned the Jews from Rome, that they returned to Rome which is where they then, at this point, receive Paul's greeting in the letter to the Romans. By the way, 2 Timothy 4.19 tells us that later on, after some time in their time in Rome, they would eventually end up back in Ephesus. They were movers. They were tent makers, and it appears they kept themselves financially free to geographically locate wherever and whenever God called and the, the gospel mission of Jesus required 
which, by the way, is a great aspiration for every Christian couple to keep on the table in their worship of and service to Jesus. Are you free if God calls to move you across the country? Are you free to move financially? Are you set up so that you can pull up and go? Be part of a church planning effort in the, the, the Pacific Northwest where the percentage of Christians is minuscule compared to the rest of the country. Where church, places like Seattle that need a gospel witness. Could God, could God call you and you be able to go to Seattle next month? Apparently that was a thing. These people lived all over the place. But they also risked their necks, their very lives, to save Paul's. You see, according to this passage, gospel unity should cause every local church to stand out. It should be amazing how we love one another. In fact, Paul says it in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. I told you it was going to blow your mind more in a minute. Here we go. Chad. Hey, buddy, I'll call, I'll call him brother, but I ain't kissing him. Yeah, well, don't kiss me either, okay? But we need to talk about this, right? Is this a spam verse? You just, you just click delete because it's weird? No, it means something. It means something in 2019. There should be a different affection and love reflected in our greetings with our forever family because ours is an eternal union and unity in Christ. So, so I just want you to think about it. I don't know what it means exactly. I want you to consider this idea and think about how you could express it culturally. (laughs) And no, I'm not being funny. A holy handshake. I don't mean a secret handshake. (laughs) You know, this is the one you do for Christians, you know. Spock handshake. I I don't mean a magic handshake or something weird. I just mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe you shake everyone else's hands like this. Maybe, maybe, Maybe just... You just do something. There's this body language there that, that you're, just, you're just wanting. I just, I just want Frank to know he's family. Frank, stand up. I don't know if this is, I don't, I don't know. Y'all, y'all are supposed to be thinking with me. So, you know, just when I see Frank if, if Frank, if Frank is just a guy on the street, I just shake his hand. Hey, Frank. But Frank's my brother. Hey, brother. Hey, yeah, good to, good to see you. Or, hey, man, good to see you. Now, I realize we're in the South. Thanks, you can, you can sit down. We're not, we're done. That's, that's as weird as we're getting, guys. We're good, right? I mean, I realize, you know, we're in the South. We hug, we hug people all the time. So, I mean, maybe, that, maybe that's not a big distinction. But, but, what, but something, right? I mean, here's the deal. If my daddy was here right now, when daddy got ready to go, or when he got here, and when he got ready to go, I'd kiss him on the cheek. i kiss my daddy because he's my daddy. Now, you, you may not kiss your dad. That's fine. I don't care. He's my daddy. I'll kiss him if I want to. We're family. You got it? But here's the thing. Did you catch what I said earlier? Daddy will be my brother in heaven, but he won't be my daddy in heaven. We're forever family. You're, Michael, we had known each other long. You and I are going to be equally close to me and my, as me and my daddy. Now, does that mean I won't remember? I don't know all that stuff. I, I believe we'll remember. I believe there'll be something special. I, I don't know. But the point is, There'll be no more distance between me and Michael than there is between me and my dad, who's a believer. And so it should matter. Jesus said, by this all people will know 
that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And, and, and gospel unity should cause the local church to stand out in the community. And part of that, according to Paul in this letter, is greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, you figure out what to do with it. Prioritizing relationships within the body of Christ is the only logical response to the gospel of God that eternally joins us as the local church together in him. As we close, I want you to bow your heads with me as the band makes their way up, worship team makes their way up. I want you to bow your heads with me. And as we have our heads bowed, I want us to pray. And I just want to kind of encourage you to pray in some different ways. Would you right now thank God for the gift of his church and specifically your local church family here? And as you're doing that, think of, for some of you who've been here a long, long time, think of all the people who've partnered with you in ministry or helped you grow in your faith. Think of those people right now. Maybe you're, you're, you're new to us or last couple of years you're not from here. You, you grew up in another church. Think, think of those people's, people wherever that was. And thank God for them right now by name. Who first shared the gospel with you? Think about that person and thank God for them. Who taught you to read the Bible on a regular basis? Thank God for that person. Who encouraged you a particular, in, during a particularly difficult time to stay faithful to Jesus when you didn't know if you could? Thank God for that person by name right now. But now I want you to prayerfully commit to the Lord that you will follow Paul's pattern here. And you'll make a point to thank those people personally, maybe face-to-face if you can, if it's possible, if they're still around, if they're still alive, if at all possible, that you'll, you'll, you'll personally thank them for their work in Christ, in the Lord, in your life this week. And finally, I want to ask you to prayerfully commit yourself to Jesus Church here at East LJ Baptist Church, perhaps like never before. I want you to pray to God. I want you to commit yourself to him that you will be a committed, actively serving, gracious, edifying, prayerful, encouraging, and sacrificing member out of love for your brothers and sisters and above all, out of love of and for the glory of Jesus, your Savior. Because there is to be in our lives a priority of the relationships within the local church. Individuals matter. You matter to Jesus, and you matter to the church. Human diversity should be characteristic of the church. For Jesus died for all nations, all social strata, all levels of financial means, 
men, women, boys and girls. And gospel unity should make every local church stand out. But it'll only happen if we each live this way.